Last week, we uh, started a new uh, message, uh, a series of messages, if you like, entitled Praying for the Final Outpouring of the Spirit of God. And uh, I went over some scriptures that many of us are familiar with, uh, many of us have heard before, uh, and many of us uh, are comfortable with in terms of we feel that we are walking in at least part of what God has promised us and what God expects from us. Uh, but I strongly felt that God wanted us to revisit this whole area about the final outpouring of the Spirit of God. And I made a series of uh, uh, comments there and looked at a couple of scriptures that I would like to repeat just uh, very quickly as part of the, part of the recap uh, before we move on uh, to cover new ground. But we said that we are on the final countdown towards the second coming of Jesus Christ. We are on the final countdown. I remember Kenneth Copeland made a, uh, a statement uh, some years ago, uh, and I guess him being a prophet and being in the Word, he's a discerning man. Uh, he would have a reasonably good handle on the season that we are in. Uh, we would never want to try to pinpoint the day nor the hour when Jesus comes back because he himself said that no man shall know the day nor the hour, but we can know the season. Um, and Kenneth Copeland said that if we were to uh, look at, uh, at, uh, at human history uh, in God's purposes on a, on a pie chart, he says, uh, with all of human history sort of coming to an end, uh, as we know it, before the second coming of Jesus Christ, he says, on this pie chart, we got this little sliver of time that's left. And then Jesus Christ will return and he will set up the thousand year reign. Uh, and you and I as born again, spirit filled, faithful believers will rule and reign with Christ during that period. Um, and of course, there's all sorts of things that we haven't got time to get into. Uh, but we are definitely on the final countdown um, it's difficult to uh, say that it could be months, it could be years, uh, but I think it's good for us to be ready. The Bible says, look up for your redemption draws near. Uh, but you know, once we've looked up and we also, Jesus says, look at the fields that are white, um, uh, ready for the harvest. So we look up, but we also look at the fields of unsaved people and we engage and we do what we can to get as many people saved uh, before Jesus Christ returns because the door of salvation is still open open, one day it'll be closed, um, and we are part of that end time uh, harvest, harvesting machinery that God has released in the earth. We also said that we're in the latter times where God is pouring out the latter rain of his spirit on the earth according to a prophecy from the book of Joel chapter 2 verse 28 onwards, and I want to read that passage now, we quoted it last week. Um, I want to read it today, and I would like for every believer, uh, certainly if you believe in this house, to be familiar with those scriptures. Because if we are praying for the final outpouring, then we need to go to the Word, and we need to be very precise in praying what the Word says. So we need to be able to find those scriptures. Um, and by the way, I'm interested to know, uh, we always have a handout ready on a Sunday in the morning, or most times anyway. We have the scriptures up on the screen behind us. Uh, how many of you actually still bring your Bible to, to, to church with you? Uh, we got a number of people. Well, praise God for that. Uh, I've got about 25 Bibles with me, um, at least anyway. They're all sitting on here, so uh, it's just... Uh, 
you know, we've sort of weighed up. It's like, what shall we do? Uh, what shall we do? Uh, and then sometimes you can encourage, uh, you can encourage, uh, what's the word that I'm wanting to use? Uh, laziness is probably a bit of a strong word. I'm trying to find a more user-friendly word. Uh, we can get a bit of a slackness going when too much is provided for us. Uh, but have you know that the Bible should be very important to every single one of us? So uh, it's still a good thing to bring your Bible to church with you. Um, in Joel chapter 2 verse 28, God speaking, he says, it shall come to pass afterward. Um, and God just said some things and then he says, after that, he says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old man shall dream dreams and your young man shall sell she visions. Verse 29, and on my main servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillar of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of that great and awesome day of the Lord. What day is that? That's the day of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now we know Acts chapter 2, we looked at that last week, and I want to have a brief look at it again this morning. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, Acts chapter 2 verse 1, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. How many of you are filled with the Holy Spirit? How many of you would say with your uplifted hand, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, all right? We have experienced what this uh, scripture is talking about. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You know, the old-time Pentecostals used to say, being baptized with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. We can only be fully filled with the Holy Spirit if we have received the gift of speaking with tongues. That is the evidence that we have actually been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Um, and uh, when all of this went on, there were 120 believers in the upper room. Jesus Christ had only just been crucified a few days earlier. Um, and, uh, and now uh, they're experiencing the very prophecy that Joel prophesied about in his book in the Old Testament, when God says it shall come to pass afterwards. And suddenly it took place. And uh, the 12 disciples were there, uh, well, 11 by them, because one of them had committed suicide. Uh, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And there were 120 believers, which is an interesting thing, because multiplied thousands of people followed Jesus. But when he began to spell out uh, the, the costs of discipleship, and when there was a few things that went on that some of them didn't like, they kind of scattered. But there were 120 uh, believers together, what we might called a remnant of those like I mean they were like the faithful souls they said this is where we need to be uh, and uh, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit every single one of them you see God does not want to fill some and not others God wants to fill every believer um, and uh, and as they experienced this thing there was such a commotion uh, that uh, 
with the noise, with the mighty rushing wind. And these guys were filled. And there was joy unspeakable and full of glory. They spoke in languages that they had not learned, which is one of the manifestations of the gift of tongues. The Bible calls it the tongue of, of, of angels. But it is also a tongue of men. And sometimes uh, when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, they speak a language that they've never learned before. And in some instances, it could be the language of the people of a foreign land, and this is exactly what took place, where at that time, at the, at the uh, day of Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles was going on, and uh, if my memory serves me correct, it could have been another feast. There were multiplied visitors there in Jerusalem, from, from not just from around Israel, but from the surrounding region there, from different nations, people came together. Uh, and when all of this noise went on, uh, the disciples then spilled out into the streets there, and, uh, and they were acting like they were just absolutely filled um, with something. And uh, they were being accused of being drunk with new wine. And of course, people that are drunk uh, in the initial stages anyway usually experience or display some sort of a euphoria, some sort of a happiness, laughter. There might have been a little bit of drunk in the spirit, perhaps uh, uh, laughter going on and so forth. And then they spoke in languages they had not learned. And some of the visitors from around the region there were able to hear their own language. And they said, how is this possible that these guys who are Galileans, that they speak the language and even the very dialect that we speak back home, which is hundreds, uh, possibly thousands of miles away, and all of that went on. And when the crowds had run together, Peter, uh, the apostle, he stood up and he says, men and brethren, let this be known to you. He's talked about to all the visitors uh, in Jerusalem. He says, these men are not drunk as you suppose. These men are not drunk as you suppose. You are supposing that they are drunk because, because it looks like they might be drunk, but they're not drunk with wine. They're not drunk with new wine, aged wine, or new wine, or any other alcohol for that matter. But they are, and of course, at that point, he swings into the uh, prophecy of Joel, which he was very well familiar with. He says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, where God says that in the last days I will pour out of my spirit. And so the fulfillment, the fulfillment of what God had prophesied about hundreds of years earlier is now coming to pass. And you can imagine the euphoria. You can imagine they're like, wow, we read about it. And here it is. But you know, here's the deal, friends, that sometimes we look at the prophecy and we've only seen a partial fulfillment or not quite the fulfillment that the word speaks about. And the deal is this. You know, they had in the Bible, we, we, the Bible scholars talk about a period of 400 years where they reckon God was silent. That from Malachi, the last prophet, uh, uh, in, or at least listed in order of books in the Old Testament, to the time that John the Baptist arrived, who is also a prophet, there were 400 years of seeming silence. Now, when we say seeming silence, <laughs> people still heard God, but the nation was largely backslidden. And, but there were still people that heard God because God is never silent uh, for a long time. God always speaks. 
But people are not always in a place to hear God. They're not always in a place of readiness to receive the word of the Lord, to be instructed by God. And uh, because there was Simeon and there, were, there was Anna, a prophetess. I mean, they heard God in the supposedly quiet years. And, uh, but anyway, now the silence is broken. God bust into the earth with the rushing mighty wind of the Holy Spirit, with the fire of God, and one set upon each of them. And here it is. It is a, an initial and a partial fulfillment of that which Joel prophesied about. Here it is. Paul says, or rather, uh, Peter says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, saying that it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Well, of course, at that stage, God hadn't put out his spirit on all flesh. He'd only just put it out on the 120 believers because they were kind of ready. <laughs> okay. So it's, we are talking an initial and a partial fulfillment of that which God had prophesied about. And these guys were excited. Um, your sons and your daughters, verse 17, Acts chapter 2, they shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. This is all once the Holy Spirit is put out and people come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not to say that every dream is from God or, or everything that people imagine or, or visualize is from God, but there's a definite Holy Spirit visions and dreams in there to show us things to come and to activate the body of Christ uh, into the perfect will of God. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Vapor of smoke there speaks about a mist, which speaks about the presence of God that comes into places and into communities that is visible. It, it has a kind of a haze in the air, and it's not, it's not mist. It's not a fog machine that's been turned on or a smoke machine which has become very popular today. All of these things are fake things of the real thing, which is the presence of God coming down and manifesting like in a thick haze. Um, and in the Old Testament, God was in the clouds. And uh, one of those deals happened when the temple of Solomon was dedicated and they began to sing uh, to God that he was good and that his mercy endures forever. They dedicated the whole temple to God. And the Bible says, and a, a thick cloud filled the temple. And the priests could not stand to minister because there was the congregation there and the priests were there and people were gathered together and the priests could not stand to minister it's, it's, it's what does that mean? Well, they fell down. If they can't stand, it means they fell down. You know, f people falling down under the power of God because the presence of God is so strong and so forth is nothing new, but it happened back then already. And, and uh, so God sp spoke about fire. Well, there was uh, tongues of fire on every believer uh, on the day of Pentecost. That's not to say that we expect that every time when somebody gets filled with the Holy Spirit. But when somebody gets filled, uh, it's not uncommon. Uh, <laughs> it's an interesting thing. You know, we pray for somebody, typically through the laying on of hands. And you know, the, the day, like the temperature is perfect. And next minute, you know, lay hands on them. And suddenly people sort of break out in a perspiration and everything. 
everything. There's a kind of a, the heat of the, of the Holy Spirit coming on their lives and wanting to get into them. And by the time they start speaking in tongues, sometimes people are like, whew, it's just a bit hot in here. And that's sort of part of that deal where that's one of the manifestations that we can sometimes see. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness. Well, that's still future. The sun was turned into darkness when Jesus was crucified on the cross um, for about three hours out. But the day will come and the sun will be turned into darkness again. That's not to say that the sun will move around to the other side of the earth. The sun during the daytime will be turned into darkness uh, and the moon into blood before the coming of the day of the Lord. And so when Jesus Christ returns physically uh, and he will land on the Mount of Olives, it'll be pitch black. And the Bible says every eye will see him. How do you know when you turn the light out and everything is pitch, pitch black and you have one source of light, everybody can see that light. And that one source of light will be the glory that will be uh, around Jesus Christ when he enters this earth. Um, because at that stage, this is now seven years after the rapture of the church, where we, the believers, have been raptured to meet the Lord in the air, and we will return with him. Um, and uh, we're going to emit some light ourselves. Uh, not as bright as Jesus, but hallelujah, we're going to be lit up as well. Let me tell you that. We'll be in our glorified bodies at that stage. And so all of that will be going on. And this is all what's been prophesied about. So just be sure, my friend, there's not a single word that God has uttered that we find in the written word of God that is somehow going to be passed over. And say, oh, I made a mistake. But God, I made a mistake about that one. I didn't mean that. No, God means every word that he said and everything that is spoken will come to pass. It's just sometimes it takes a bit longer than what we would like it to take. And sometimes we only see a partial fulfillment. But the key in the middle of it all is to not get discouraged. That's the key. And uh, the nation of Israel was discouraged. Several generations did not experience God, but there were individuals amongst them that still experienced God in a, in a relative dry, desert-like condition as far as spiritual condition is concerned, but people still experienced God. And in Hosea, chapter 6, verse 3, and I'm still just recapping a little. <laughs> he, says, uh, he says, let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and the former rain to the earth. So God comes down. Um, God doesn't come up from the earth. God comes down. Um, he comes down like the rain. And then Joel, uh, and of course uh, Peter quoting the prophecy from Joel, saying that there will be like, you know, like the, 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 the outpouring of the Spirit taking place. And Hosea tells us that God comes like the rain. Um, so we said that the outpouring of the Spirit of God on the day of P Pentecost was the former rain. And what we are experiencing in these last days and certainly since the days of the Azusa Street Revival, and even prior to that, we've got different revivals that went on around. There were outpouring of the Spirit that so drastically changed the face of the, the spiritual climate in these places, and indeed around the world. This is part of the outpouring of the Spirit of God. This is part of the latter rain in these last days. Azusa Street Revival, 1900. 
1905, 1906, well before the First World War, there were a group of people. Um, uh, one of them was a, a black man by the name of William Parham. Um, and there were Seymour and different people that were there began to seek God for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They'd read the word and they said there must be more to what we're experiencing right now. And there was a young lady by the name of Agnes and they had a Bible school going and the ministers there not being baptized in the spirit themselves, they said we see something in the word that we're not experiencing. Let's all seek God together. And they began to seek God. Uh, and they began to cry out to God and ask for revelation and ask for God to manifest himself in the way that he had promised. And a young lady by the name of Agnes got filled with the Holy Spirit. And next minute, she's bursting out speaking in tongues. And like, it's like, uh, and, and the amazing thing is that uh, this took place in 1905, 1906. And that sparked off such a massive revival in the city of Los Angeles in a street called Azusa Street, still there to this day. In fact, the building that they met in was an old converted horse stable. Um, the pulpit that they had were some old boxes that they had kind of nailed together behind which, uh, uh, you know, the man of God stood to preach the word. Um, and the story goes that uh, the man was so lit up by the glory of God that at times he would hide himself behind these boxes because he didn't want people to look at him. He wanted people to look to Jesus. And there was such an outpouring of the Spirit of God that it drew people together from around the world. The news of this thing happening went into the newspapers and next minute it's worldwide. People from the continent, from Europe, people from England rushed over there. People from Canada came down. People from different parts of the world all converged together in this place. They wanted to see what God was doing and they wanted the more of what God had for them. And uh, in 1910... There was a minister, a very eloquent minister in terms of writing ability. He wrote a series of lectures. Um, they were not so much preaching sessions, they were teaching sessions. Um, a lectures of about 12 lectures that was later on formed into a book um, and distributed around the world. Uh, his name was uh, Wesley Myland, Reverend Wesley Myland. Uh, 1910, and he wrote some, what we might call, dissertation from the Word of God to prove that what was going on in Azusa Street, and it started to be taken back to some of the places where people had come from and started to spark revival fires around the world. He says, this is the latter reign of the Spirit that Joel prophesied about, that Peter prophesied about. He says, this is that. And so it's interesting, here are two men one of them in the Bible, his name is Peter. And Peter was there on the day of Pentecost. And God revealed to him what they had just experienced within the last couple of hours is that which Joel prophesied about. And then, like 2,000 years later, there's the latter reign of the Spirit going on. And here's another man. This one's not in the Bible. But he's nevertheless a man used of God. When he saw the revival that was going on, and I believe he was a Presbyterian minister. Um, could have been Methodist. I think he might have been Presbyterian. He saw what had happened. 
And God gave him the revelation that this is part of the latter reign of the Spirit that the Bible speaks about. Especially here in the book of Hosea, chapter, whatever that chapter was that we have just read. Um, and, uh, and I reckon that uh, the, I've got the book, I haven't fully read it, but uh, I have it. And I reckon that the argument that he put forth was hard to argue against because it was so precise and the revelation was so strong and so convincing that that book and those writings uh, and those lectures ran around the world and that sparked off uh, the Pentecostal movement, the charismatic movement, the latter rain movement, and there's all different names for similar things. And I guess historically, the Pentecost was restored uh, in Azusa Street. Uh, and then later on, as they experienced further outpourings, they named it various things. Because uh, the charismatic move uh, came, in fact, the uh, Pentecost came to New Zealand in 1920 and was brought largely by a man by the name of Smith Wigglesworth who held some meetings in Wellington here uh, and because he was a healing evangelist but he was a man that spoke with tongues and he is a man that encouraged people to enter into the baptism with the Holy Spirit which back then was not understood and was not known about. Uh, another man by the name of Howard Carter came to New Zealand and held a series of lectures, some of them up in the, in the hills uh, up north of Upper Hutt here, there was some sort of a retreat, and they went up there and they had a group of people together, and these men of God began to lecture and to teach the people, which back then were people that were born again, but were not filled with the Holy Spirit. And then uh, there was uh, whole movements, whole denominations in New Zealand rejected the baptism with the Holy Spirit. They somehow concluded it's not of God, we don't want a, 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 any part of it. Not only that, but they began to speak against it and began to caution the people against it. And somehow it's kind of Pentecostal thing kind of was almost like thwarted and aborted in New Zealand because of religious people when they saw something, didn't recognize that it was of God and kind of turned against it. Now, of course, uh, we need to not in any way minimize the role of ministers and of leaders in the body of Christ to discern because there's fads, there's winds of doctrines, there's all sorts of stuff that goes on and some of it presents itself in very flashy ways and in very demonstrative ways, but it's not necessarily of God or it's excessive uh, in different areas. So the leaders are certain there to guide the ship or the ships through troubled waters doctrinally and, and spiritually, but at that stage, some of these people made the move and they began to speak against the move of God. And the charismatic move did not really uh, spring into action in New Zealand until the 1950s. Um, and we are saying that, you know, the Pentecostals, uh, there were Pentecostal congregations. Uh, the first Pentecostal church was in Wellington, and, and, and there was another one in the Hutt Valley here. Uh, in fact, some of us are going to the prayer meeting uh, tonight. Uh, that church was actually planted by the man that was the driver for Smith Wigglesworth to drive him around the country from meeting to meeting. And this man got, was born again. The driver got filled with the Holy Spirit, and he ended up planting a local church here. That was one of the first Pentecostal churches uh, in New Zealand, and uh, still here today and still going strong. Um, and so, 
things sort of trickled on. They were Pentecostal congregations, not particularly strong, very persecuted, uh, very spoken against. Um, and uh, it was not until uh, maybe the 19, later 40s and the 1950s that the charismatic move uh, began to uh, start to take a hold in New Zealand. And of course, there, were, there was friction between the Pentecostals. Um, and some of you that have been around for a while, um, some of the early people, the Pentecostals, uh, there was Peter Morrow who ended up uh, planting the New Life Church in Christchurch. There was Rob Wheeler uh, who held tent meetings up and down the country. I mean, they preached the gospel. They got people saved. They got people filled with the Holy Spirit. And there were a number of, ad of others, Trevor Chandler, different other people that uh, most people don't know anything about today. But these were the pioneers that in the face of all opposition, they just carried on being faithful to what God had given them and carried on proclaiming to those who wanted to hear it. There was a, uh, a man, a minister that I met uh, in the early life of uh, just after we had planted the church here in the Hutt Valley back in 1989. I went to a minister's meeting in Wellington, and there was a man there uh, who had come from the Brethren denomination. At that stage, he had been filled with the Holy Spirit, and he was um, leading, part leading a, a, what we might call a Pentecostal slash charismatic congregation, and he began to give his testimony. Um, I never forget it to this day. He says, uh, my father was a brethren man, and uh, the Brethren, by the way, were a very strong denomination in New Zealand, largely responsible for the evangelization of New Zealand as a, as a nation. They were not the only ones, but they were very strong. Uh, in fact, you go into any city, into any town, and you will find a gospel chapel. And uh, they used to call them gospel halls, and they renamed it gospel chapel. And they're typically Brethren churches that were planted, mission stations to preach the gospel from, to reach out, to reach out to children and to people in general. Um, and this brethren man began to read his Bible and he began to ask the same questions that they asked uh, in, in, in America when they said that there is more of what we see in the word and we need to seek God for that. So he began to fast and pray. And this is in the city of Wellington. Um, in the suburb of, of, of uh, Rose Neath, if I remember correctly, or Rose, whatever that hill is up, up in the top of Wellington there. And he's at home and he's praying um, and he's seeking God. And he wanted to have the higher life that he had not experienced. Now, the term higher life was a term that was being used by the Pentecostals and by the Charismatics to say when you're born again, you've entered into the life of God. But the higher life, the life of victory does not come until you're baptized with the Holy Spirit and until you're constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, he began to seek God for that higher life and that experience that he so wanted to have. And he began to fast and he began to pray. And I forget the very specifics of it, but I understand that on the 10th or on the 11th day, this man was in the back room in his house and he's praying. And they had in the front entrance, they had a, a porch in the front there, kind of a little front room where you'd enter into one door and then into another, into the hallway, and then, of course, rooms off to the side, and he's in the back room. And while he's praying, there is a commotion going on in the front room. It sounded like there was a storm going on out there, yet there was no storm outside. And next minute, he heard the noise coming down the hallway, and it burst into his room, and it was basically the Holy Spirit came to visit this man in a very, very powerful way, and 
responded to the hunger and to the thirst that he had expressed to God. And the man got gloriously filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's now speaking in tongues. And, uh, and I guess as you might imagine, when we experience great things from God, we want to share it with our brethren. Boy, well, he shared it with his brethren. They gave him the left foot of fellowship. Uh, said, we will not have none of that around here. Thank you very much. Uh, so they kicked him out. <laughs> the man's wife, this is the mother of the minister whose testimony I'm listening to, and he's sharing the testimony of his parents and then of, of, of his own self. He says, I was around 10, 11 years old at that stage. In fact, the man's still alive today. He's 75 years old. He's still preaching. I'm hoping to catch up with him in the next, uh, next few weeks. Um, I know about you, but I get really inspired by these stories uh, uh, because some of these forerunners of the Pentecostal uh, movement, of the charismatic movement, you know, today we get together, we sing in the spirit, we speak in tongues, and we think nothing of it. These people were like shunned. They were like rejected, and they were criticized. It was just unbelievable. And anyway, this man said at that stage when my father got filled with the Holy Spirit, he didn't know what it was, but he just knew that uh, he was speaking in tongues and then he tried to find the scriptures to kind of verify that what he had experienced was actually this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And anyway, uh, he says, I was 10, 11 years old at that stage. He says, all my life I had experienced incredible migraine headaches as a young boy. I don't know if that's normal, but... Uh, it might, it, might, it might be, it might not be, I don't know. Um, and he says, when I went to school, some days he says they had to carry me home because the pain is so bad. He says, I was at times blinded, I couldn't even see, so I couldn't even make my way home from school. He says, I had such terrible headaches, some migrant headaches. And he says, uh, my mother was a very unwell woman. And what she, when she saw what had happened to her husband, this is this man's father. She says she began to seek God for herself. And she's now fasting and she's now praying and pressing into God. And uh, the story goes that uh, God came to visit her in the same way that he had visited her husband in that same house after some days. And, uh, but she didn't know what it was and she felt the power of God come on her and there was a kind of a sensation, a kind of a pulsation. Her heart was racing, and she thought she was dying. She didn't recognize what was going on. She, she thought she was dying, and this happened in the morning. And uh, her, her son, now 10, 11 years old, is about to go to school. She thought, I might never see him again. So she called him in, and she explained to him that... <laughs> Son, I might not be here tonight. I'm not in a, in, in a good way. Uh, there was all sorts of things going on with her physically and emotionally and everything. And she kind of misread the situation. Um, she was uh, largely bedfast, not a very well woman, very, very unwell. And she thought, this is it. I'm, I'm fading out. So she called the boy in before he went to school. She said, son, I might not be here uh, by the time you get home tonight. But let me just pray for you. So she called him over. She laid her hands on his head and just blessed him and kind of sent him off to school. The amazing thing was that this man from this day forward, this young boy, I should say, never had another headache. He got completely healed when his mother 
laid hands on him, there was a release of the anointing of God from the mother into the boy that completely healed the boy. And what was equally amazing, when he got home in the evening, his mom's up. She's not in bed as she normally was. And she's actually quite bright and quite happy. And she had this experience with God where God came to visit her, even though she misunderstood what was going on, it completely healed her. It completely, she got completely filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And this is kind of now a whole family that is now just absolutely transformed by the power of God. Um, I'm sharing all of that. In fact, uh, there's um, mega um, history that has been written around the Pentecostal, uh, the charismatic move in New Zealand. Um, the story goes that as a nation, there was no nation touched quite like New Zealand was touched in the charismatic days. The outpouring of the Spirit of God flowed into every denomination. Now, it wasn't always welcome, but the Spirit of God flowed in there nevertheless. And you had, you know, the charismatic renewal days. You had the Catholics, you had the Anglicans, you had some of the brethren people that began to be open and ask questions and, and so forth. And the Spirit of God moved through this nation in a very, very powerful way. Story goes too that uh, in terms of impact on a nation, New Zealand's not that big. And I've said this before, we're only four and a half million people. We as a nation are smaller than some cities around the world. I have faith for the whole nation to be saved by the power of God. I have faith that there's another outpouring of the Spirit across our nation that will so captivate every heart. And so draw people to the believers and draw people into the places where the gospel is preached. And... Uh, and uh, where people have prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit is ministered to people where they get filled with the Holy Spirit. I absolutely have faith for that. It's been said that when Billy Graham came to this nation and held crusades in Auckland, Wellington, and Christchurch, which is obviously our biggest city, cities, the way that the New Zealand population is kind of spread out across the nation, most of the people live in the cities. And they hit with those crusades, uh, with those campaigns, Auckland, Wellington, and Christchurch. And that went on for some time, back, was it 1950s? It's been said that in terms of per head of population, no other nation was touched by the ministry of this man called Billy Graham who preached around the gospel around the world as it was in New Zealand because so many people went along. And you know, that was before the days where there wasn't all that much television going on. Um, uh, one of the few bits of entertainment that was going on was the horse racing going on. And that's why in every town you had a kind of a race course. Uh, there wasn't any hardly television. There was a bit of radio. There was certainly no internet. There was no social media. There was no, you know, there were no nightclubs. Uh, back then the pubs closed at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And then that was extended out to 6 o'clock uh, uh, in the evening. And, uh, and so when there was something, there was God's show that came to town... And everybody went along to it. Multiplied thousands of people got saved. Many of which streamed into churches and actually went on for God. Some did not, but many did. Uh, the nation of New Zealand is powerfully touched uh, with what God is doing through the 
charismatic move uh, through the ministry of various ministers, some of the early pioneers and, um, and what went on with the healing revival. Oral Roberts had come to Australia, though he was not well received. He brought the message uh, that we now commonly uh, understand and quote, that God is a good God. Well, in Australia, they nearly killed him and his wife, literally. Like, they nearly ran, they ran him out of town. I mean, they held some meetings there. But by and large, he was not well received by the people, even some of the churches. Uh, it sometimes amazes me how you can have such nasty people inside churches uh, with, with such nastiness and such bitter opposition to what God is trying to do. It's just incredible. Anyway, uh, news of that nevertheless went out. Uh, it came to New Zealand, the whole area of faith or healing by faith and the power of God and the gifts of the Spirit in operation. And uh, as we said, there were some of the early pioneers uh, that then went through the nation, held tent meetings. In fact, even uh, with uh, Pastor Jim and Ida Heath, some years later now, a couple of decades later, they launched out and did a kind of a nationwide sort of a deal, going out in, in buses and having tent meetings and preaching the gospel to those who were hungry. And I would like to suggest to you that New Zealand is ready for another move of God. I'd like to suggest to you that God wants to do another outpouring of the Spirit. This is why that scripture here in Zechariah chapter 10 verse 1, it says, Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. When is that time? It's right now. That time began uh, with the outpouring of the Spirit of God on the Sousa Street and even a couple of earlier revivals, pockets of revivals that they experienced back then, and it's still going on today. We've had the outpouring of the latter rain of the Spirit of God for the last 110, 115 years approximately, and of course there were sort of outpourings uh, uh, prior to that that did not necessarily translate into the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it translated into the power of God released into communities where suddenly uh, you know we have stories of the early revival, revivalists, uh, uh, people like Maria Woodward Etta uh, who traveled around uh, the plains of the United States and held meetings in different places and she went into a community and sometimes two, three hours drive away from where she was, people fell out under the power of God and were sometimes out for hours and when they they came to again, they jumped up and started to praise God and they had been gloriously saved without any man uh, intervening or preaching the gospel to these people that had a vision of Jesus and they got born again and then they started to run around and started to tell everybody about Jesus and there was like a commotion there. Uh, as I said, Maria Woodward Etta was one of the early pioneers of that and many, many of these uh, early revivalists that crisscrossed the country and preached the gospel many times in the face of amazing opposition been said that Maria Woodward Etta lost about six or seven children during her lifetime. It's just a tragic, tragic situation. This is now before the days, uh, before the days they had, uh, they had penicillin and, you know, medication that would fix things like, you know, pneumonia and, and stuff like that. And many children in the early days died of pneumonia or died of some sort of infection or something that they didn't know how to treat back then. And this is even before the days where the power of God for healing was fully understood. And yet the woman steadfastly carried on preaching the gospel and carried on and carried on and carried on. Tell you what, friends, um, it's a good thing for us to read some of the writings of 
our Christian forefathers. Because sometimes we think we got problems. Uh, and sometimes we think we got it hard. We don't realize how good we really have it. Okay, now I'm not minimizing some of those people have got some experiences in some tragic situations. I'm not in any way meaning, uh, meaning to, you know, kind of diminish that in any way and don't mean to be insensitive, but by and large, friends, we have it very good. All right. So um, ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. I'm encouraging you to join with me and let's join with other believers around this nation, around the world to continue to pray for the outpouring of the Spirit of God until we fully see the saturation of that which God had promised that he was going to pour out his Spirit on all flesh. The Lord will make flesh and clouds. He will give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. And here in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 8, it says, Rain down, you heavens, from above, and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open. Let them bring forth salvation. And let righteousness spring forth or spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. So here's another scripture. And this is Old Testament. And we'll come into the New Testament very shortly. God's speaking there about uh, that. He says, let the skies pour down righteousness. This is speaking of yet another outpouring of the Spirit of God. And of course, the result is, he says, uh, let them bring forth salvation. You see, when there's another outpouring, many people get saved. If it's a genuine outpouring, there will be salvations. And righteousness is reestablished in society. The Welsh Revival on a small scale across the nation of Wales and the United Kingdom uh, was led by a man by the name of Evan Roberts. And Evan Roberts had experienced the power of God in his own life. And he was in a Bible college and he suddenly felt the need to just go out and to preach in churches for those who were willing to listen. And he says, God's promised us revival. There is another, another outpouring coming. He gave him specifics in regards to what they had to do in order to begin to hunger and to thirst after more of God. And when that revival fully uh, happened and uh, it so touched that nation... It so touched that nation that not only was there such a rain of the outpouring of the Spirit of God, but in the natural, when it rains and keeps on raining, there's a saturation from the ground up that they were like wading around the presence of God. It was so strong that they have reports there where people went up to the police station because they didn't know where else to go because people were down in the pub and some of them Put, some, one guy put down his glass down and he was known as to be quite a drinking man. He says, this is the last glass of alcohol that I will ever drink in my whole life. And he went outside and some of them joined him and the power of God was on them so strong and they, didn't, they weren't even Christians. The power of God was on them so, so strong that they wanted somebody to help them to get right with God. Some of them began to cry out for mercy and they were rolling on the ground and writhing under the power of God. The conviction on their lives was so strong they didn't know how to get rid of it. Because how many of you know that the guilt of sin doesn't leave until sin's forgiven and Jesus has come into our lives? So they went up to the police station. And to ask, can somebody help us get right with God? And I'm not sure what the outcome of that specific incident was. But the story goes that uh, the pubs across the nation closed down. The churches 
got filled up. We are talking uh, a revival that's very measurable on a small nation. The police were pretty much made redundant. There was no more crime. Nobody stole. There was no more fights outside the pub where people had been drinking and they're getting into scraps and into what have you. They completely shunned that lifestyle and they got into churches and they began to be used by the power of God to touch that whole nation. Of course, many went out as missionaries into the fields uh, to preach the gospel. The story goes that uh, some of the police people now not nothing to do and the churches are bursting at the seams and this is now all fresh and early days and some of the churches didn't have worship teams so the police uh, who played music uh, came up and provided praise and worship for these people and they had their revival meetings. Um, and the nation of Wales was touched in a very, very powerful way. And it all goes back to one young man saying, let's begin to cry out to God for more. And I'm asking you to join me. Let's cry out to God for more. There's much, much more available. And there's much, much more coming. Isaiah chapter 43 verse 20. The beasts of the field will honor me. The jackals and the ostriches. Because I give water in the wilderness. And rivers in the desert. To give drink to my people. My chosen. You know, there are numerous scriptures in the book of Isaiah specifically in the center part of the book there that speaks about God pouring out water to give drink to his people. And whilst God wanted to give natural water to the land, to the people, what he's really talking about is pouring out the water of his Holy Spirit upon a whole nation and indeed around the world. Speaks there of water in the wilderness. The reason why a wilderness is called a wilderness because there's no water there, nothing grows. It is not cultivated. And the deal here is that when somebody whose life is a wilderness and is all chaotic and, and all messy invites the Spirit of God to come in, there are rivers in the wilderness and, and God helps them to sort out their lives. And what everything is out of order comes into order. Everything that is not working now begins to work. He says, rivers in the desert. Who has ever heard of such a thing? Rivers in the desert. But that's what God wants to do. Where there are spiritually dry places. Or for that matter, spiritually dry people. God wants to pour rain down. And then God wants to flood that whole environment uh, uh, with the Spirit. With the rivers of His Spirit. To satisfy spiritually dry souls. You know, the reality is that people went to Azusa Street because they so wanted to experience what they'd heard about and what they'd read in the Word. But ultimately, a change of, of physical location is not necessarily necessary in order for us to experience an outpouring of the Spirit of God. We can experience that right now, right here, um, and uh, in this very day. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. One translation says, ho, ho. <laughs> this is not Father Christmas announcing himself. <laughs> this is God trying to get people's attention. He says, ho, ho, everyone who thirsts, let him come to the waters. Let him come. Let him come.
And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And the instructions here to the thirsty are, first of all, come. Come is mentioned three times. Friends, in order for us to be filled, we need to come. <laughs> People are sometimes sort of way, way, way away. God says, draw near to me. Come. God says, come. This man, back in the 50s, began to seek God in his house. And uh, he drew aside and he drew near to God. And the Bible says, as we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. And then it says, buy without money and without price. God says, let thirst be your currency. God freely wants to pour forth. But in the end, he needs to see a hungry and a thirsty heart. And then he says, eat and drink. God says, feast off of my presence. Friends, can I suggest to you that the only criteria, ultimately, that God is looking for in order for us to be filled is hunger and thirst. Because the hunger and the thirst will draw us close to the fountain, will draw us close to God where we experience uh, the presence of God and the outpouring and the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Beginning to run out of time as far as you know, the ministry of the word is concerned. But I wonder if we can just get the worship team up and just spend a few minutes just drawing near to God right now as a people, as a congregation. And sometimes our, our need being met in terms of being filled, in terms of being refreshed in the presence of God is dependent on the intensity that we display before God when we cry out to him and say, God, I'm not satisfied where I am right now. Just close with this story, but uh, I just got a new vehicle, a new car earlier on this year. And, you know, when I get a car and look at the fuel gauge, I really want to know what's going on there because uh, when, you know, the thing goes from full down to half and I'm wondering how many kilometers I've got left, it doesn't mean a great deal when you're traveling around town a lot and you've got a petrol station at every corner, but when you're going away on a trip, it could be a make-it-or-break-it situation when you get to the, to the destiny. And then when I get down to, to, to empty, get down to empty, I want to know how many miles have I got left, how many kilometers have I got left, and so I I drive it right down uh, until I sort of think, all right, I've got a petrol station around the corner. I need to go now because I don't like being at the petrol station every, every five minutes. I just like to fill up and then be able to travel around. And, but it's an interesting thing. Uh, when, when I get right down, I get a bit uneasy. I get a bit, uh, get a bit uneasy. Um, and here's the deal. When people get filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit, there's euphoria in their lives. But thereafter, God wants us to learn to just get refilled on just a daily basis. And sometimes even as unspectacular as praying in tongues and worshiping God and praying is that refilling that takes place. And the amazing thing is that sometimes people 
get down low in their spiritual tank and it gets down past half and it goes down to quarter and it gets down closer to empty and then people start to get frustrated people start to get uneasy people start to get unsettled people start to get into the flesh people start to get into all sorts of things and these are simply symptoms of people not being filled up as God wants us to be filled up when we are fully filled, the Bible says there is joy unspeakable and full of glory. There's a sense of peace and there's a sense of contentment in the middle of even a dry environment, if that were the case. Like sometimes people in their homes, they're the only believers and yet they are just so satisfied with the goodness of God. But as I say, when that tank, the Holy Spirit tank, their spiritual tank gets down to, to low and there's frustration, there's depression, there is all sorts of things going on and these things are simply symptoms of being near empty where people need to be filled back up again. I don't know about you, but uh, I need to be filled all the time. <laughs> I just need God like all the time. And uh, I need more of God all the time. And just as the team begin to lead us in a worship song, and if you feel that you, you, you can do with another fresh infilling, and you want to get out of your seat and get down the front, and stretch up your hands to heaven and to display a, a sense of hunger and thirst for more of God, maybe that could be the starting point of something fresh and something new in your life. If you're feeling a little frustrated or feeling a little out of sorts or feeling just a little like, oh, you know, the, the problem is that when people get, oh, you know, they make the wrong decisions they make the wrong decisions they're now no longer led by the spirit but sometimes they're led just by their own flesh because after all Holy Spirit power has been diminished in their life and the flesh has risen up and, and then people begin to blame others and people begin to blame the church blame the leadership, blame the government, blame this, blame that and, but when people have refilled again there's joy unspeakable and full of glory and unless you're already at a place of true and speaker and full of glory, why don't you get down the front and let's call out to God together for the next uh, five, ten minutes and, and let's initiate something. Let's start something fresh and new here this morning. Just whenever you're ready, you can get out of your, out of your seats and let's call on the name of the Lord this morning.